Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. Join Steve and his guests every week as he staggers from Georgia to Maine. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show and the end of my first year in podcasting. This is episode number 52. We've released an episode every Thursday morning at 3 a.m. Eastern Time since the pilot episode last September. In the serendipitous way of the Appalachian Trail, this milestone episode features a young lady we followed throughout her own Appalachian Trail journey as a member and now newly minted through hiker of the class of 2017. Jessa Hackman or Addie. I was really disappointed to miss covering those last couple of hundred miles while I was away in California, but I promised to have a full show with Jessa on my return, and she is the main guest today, along with Nick, her fiancé, and Joan, her mum. They're all coming up later, but first I wanted to address a couple of things that happened to me this week. Well, I'll address one now and the other one after Jessa. This week, Hurricane Irma took aim at my adopted home state of Florida, and even though we had a week of warnings, I just wasn't prepared for what I saw and heard on Sunday. What I saw was wall-to-wall coverage, mainly on CNN, but gladly on my local news channel to see how my area was being affected. I was also able to follow the weather online, as my power stayed on throughout the day, hunkered down as I was behind my metal shutters. At one point, at 2.07pm, on Sunday afternoon, I posted a close-up of the then-projected track of the storm, and the dead centre of the cone was heading directly over my community and parish. I could even see my road on the map. That, of course, made it time to grab a beer, take a selfie, and post to Facebook, which, of course, I did. The way in which the anticipated cone shifted back and forth was disconcerting to say the least. But we eventually turned off our TV and went to bed at about nine o'clock in the hope of getting through the night safely. The noise outside was frankly terrifying. I don't mind telling you, but I quickly fell asleep. I woke about four hours later with winds, but distinctly less winds, rattling my shutters. The next thing I knew, my diane was bringing me a cup of coffee at six o'clock. I'd slept through the worst of it, and we still had power. We lost that for an hour or so in the morning, but man, we dodged a bullet. I didn't think that I had a chance of getting today's show prepared, but, well, here it is. While you're listening, please spare a thought for those still suffering and the countless others whose lives have been destroyed. As we all learned in the woods, nature really does what it wants, and nobody can control it. So, with the reflections of a hike well hiked, Here's Jessa and her fiancé, Nick. Well, as I promised, we're back with Jessa as um, 
Hurricane Irma is on its way to hit me around the head. Uh, so I um, um, thank Jessa and Nick for agreeing to speak with me tonight. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing great. We're good. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm, um, I'm probably not too bad. I'm looking forward to the hurricane being past me, I've got to tell you. So we th- said we'd do a catch-up, and this is something that – this is the first um, – as it were, new or live show that I've done for about six weeks. So I'm probably going to be a bit rusty over this, but uh, let's see how we go. And I suppose the first question, Jessa, now that it's over and you're done, how are you actually adapting back into after-trail life, as opposed to going to work? I'll ask about work in a minute. But what about adapting back to life after the trail? Um, Well, I think I adapted back to life pretty quickly. Um, I kind of dove right back into it. We kind of got right on with wedding planning that very first weekend that we were back. And like you said, a new job. But um, but actually, it's been a pretty easy adjustment back home. And I think um, part of that is because we're in a city, um, you know, first of all, that I love so much, but it's also a very um, outdoor friendly city. So there's a lot of biking and a lot of walking and a lot of natural areas and I'm able to walk to work and and it's also a really friendly city um, too. So, you know, our neighbors do like, you know, weekly dinners or cookouts at their house and everyone goes over there and sits around a fire and, and it kind of feels, I sort of feel connected to the trail. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's helped with the transition. So you've not had any of that, um, I guess the post trail blues at all. You've just gone back just almost like seamless back into your old life. Yeah, surprisingly, I haven't had any of the post-trail blues that you hear about. And, and that was something that I was kind of on notice for and, and a little worried about. But thankfully, I haven't experienced that. And you don't miss getting up every morning, <laughs> deflating your your your, your airbed and packing up and moving on and eating lousy food and and doing yeah. all sorts of dreadful, dreadful things in the woods. You don't miss any of that at all. It is nice to not have to hang a bear bag every night, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. And now I know you've, you're able to, uh, and I know the plan was to get instantly back into your job. That must have been tough. How how soon after you got back from the trail did you actually start work again? Yeah, so we um, got back to Madison on a Wednesday, and I went back to work that following Monday. So I oh did have, gosh. have a few days, but, I mean, it was a pretty quick turnaround. <laughs> were you exhausted when you finished or weren't you maybe you maybe you just get so got so fit that you weren't exhausted i was just absolutely completely catastrophically smashed up i really was yeah i was pretty physically exhausted those first few days um but i think i think the harder part for me was like just mental exhaustion you know my work is really fast paced and at the end of the day i was just totally mentally exhausted so i've been trying to kind of take advantage of you know, the time in the morning that I have to myself, like those quiet times. But, but um, yeah, that's, that's definitely been a struggle for me. I'm sure. Now, you, you mentioned earlier on you, you started your wedding plans. When are you planning to get married then? So we're getting married next August, so August 18th um, of next You started plans already? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Is that what weddings are like these days? You have to, you have to plan a year in advance. Some of the stuff Apparently, you do. Yeah. We may have even... <laughs> to start as we hired. <laughs> oh gosh, oh dear me, what a nightmare. <laughs> it is wedding, so I guess I'll have to be for it. <laughs> is it what wedding, sorry? It is our first wedding, so I guess I guess Yes, I- absolutely yes. You did need to get the first couple yeah. out of the way, I must admit, yeah. <laughs> we'll get it better. 
Yeah. Well, look, so you're, and I know, I know for me, when I got back, the trial was and continues to be constantly on my mind. Now you've, now you've stepped back into your life and you started being a lawyer. Um, do you think about the trial much? Um, I kind of, uh, I sort of flip flop. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny. I'll be going throughout my day and I'll, and I won't, you know, I, I'll sort of forget that I've done like this really cool thing. And all of a sudden something will remind me like, oh yeah, I hiked all the way from Georgia to Maine. <laughs> and it's kind of like this crazy realization and all those memories sort of come flooding back. And, and then I'm kind of, mm. you know, uh, you know, I'll spend some time reminiscing or thinking about it, but it is sort of, um, you know, I kind of go back and forth on it. So now you're over, now it's finished. Does it feel to you like a blessing or a curse? Um, oh, I definitely think uh, that it feels like a blessing. Um, you know, when I think about the trail and I and I sort of remember those experiences, it's really an empowering moment for me. Um, you, you know, and I, I just feel so much confidence and stuff. And um, no, it's definitely a blessing. You you say you feel confidence. weren't you confident before? <laughs> I was, but you know, there's something about enduring um, some of the challenges that the trail throws your way that, you know, it kind of gives you this like re- really renewed sense of confidence. Um, you know, like I survived a, a lightning storm on an open ridge with two aluminum poles in my hand. And if I can oh, survive, good move. <laughs> survive any, you know, crazy meeting with a client or, you know, appearance yeah. in front of a cranky judge or whatever it may be. <laughs> What do your new colleagues think about the fact you've done that, or do they not talk about it? Because you, I've got to tell you, you you will find there will, when you've told your friends and family the story for the twentieth time, their eyes will start to glaze over. <laughs> They're not going to want to hear it anymore. So <laughs> it just kind of happens that way. Yeah, yeah, you can certainly tell with some people. Some people are not familiar with hiking; they don't really know much about the trail. And when I start to talk about it, you can tell that they're kind of just not quite grasping it. Um, but you know, sometimes you run into someone who really, who really is knowledgeable about the Appalachian Trail. So, for example, our landlord came by the other day um, to just handle some some business related matters, but learned that I had hiked the trail, and and his daughter wants to hike the trail. So we exchanged contact information so that you know his daughter can, you know, we can meet up for coffee and I can talk with her about the trail. Um, so, so there's a lot of uh, variety in how and how people respond to my stories. <laughs> That's cool. Now, before I get on to Nick, there was a question I want to ask. And it's from one of our, one of the listeners. Actually, she's actually going to be a future guest. But she was so interested. She said that you, as she understood, you did the REI orienting. Is it orienteering compass class? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And did, did, do you recommend that for AT hikers? I mean, for me, looking at the white blazes was pretty much enough. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say I don't recommend it, and then someone get lost and not be able to navigate yes. back. But yeah. it was totally pointless for me I, I in fact after about two weeks I sent my compass home so I mean cool skill to to have and I hope that in future backpacking trips it benefits me but with the white blazes marked as well as they are um I don't think that that's you know a skill that's necessary on the trail it's certainly not going to hurt um but I never I never once used that skill set <laughs> I think actually you know what I think that's a that's a really nice thing for people to hear because I mean, I always, I mean, I got lost a few times, but then that was my fault entirely. But, but I think people need to realize that this is not, this is a pretty good, good trail to stay safe on, uh, stay safe, stay safe on. Uh, and, you know, you, you should pretty much know where you are all the time on this trail, don't you think? 
Absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, it's certainly not, not foolproof by any means, but, um, but, but it is an easy trail to follow. It's very well marked. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you in that regard. Now, Nick, you're the person that Jesso is probably closest to of all, and you're probably the person who's observed her more than anybody else, um, since she's returned. And what do you, what do you observe about it? Do you see any, uh, how she's responded to finishing? I mean, I think kind of similar to what Jessica said, I think it's been, you know, it's been such a quick transition. Um, yeah. You know, it's those behavioral changes. I don't think I've, I've seen too many of them. And I think kind of in, in my profession, which is speech language pathology, behavioral changes we think of as being kind of like occurring over large swaths of time, which is quite nice because it gives us some doubt security. Um, but also, uh, you know, I, I, for me personally, I know that after finishing these big sorts of things, it takes me a while to unpack them and, and decompress and kind of realize their significance. So um, yeah. um, while I haven't seen like huge changes in personality or anything like that, I definitely am just trying to give Jessa some space and time to kind of unpack that on her own and then, and then just kind of an open ear to tell me what she's learned from the experience. Um, you know, but I, I will say it's pretty remarkable how quickly she's transitioned. Um, not that I didn't have that expectation. I mean, she's, you know, she got through law school, which means putting yourself in some pretty high intense situations and not only having to like adjust to them, but also excel in them. So, uh, you know, I I think that the adjustment period has been super short, Um, but I am really excited to to learn about all the ways and all the things she learned from the trail when she's had time to kind of unpack it and uh, learn more about the experience. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure this is something that's, uh, it's going to simmer within you a little bit. You're going to start thinking about it more and more. It may even be that we're catching up a little bit too early. I just wanted to do it on the 52nd episode, which is uh, the anniversary of one year of starting the show. So it seemed somehow, somehow appropriate that we should do it today. Oh, and, yeah. And, you, and I know you spent a lot of time, or not a lot of time, but you, you two crazy people went through the 100-mile wilderness fast and you climbed Katahdin, Nick. Um, how did you enjoy those last miles, those last 100-odd miles? Yeah, I, I really love the 100-mile wilderness. Um, I mean, I think one thing that surprised me about Maine is just, you know, you hear about Maine, and or I heard about Maine and Texas, and, you know, you think about lobsters and um, and those things. But, I mean, it really is uh, a wilderness state. I mean, there's just, you know, so much um, sort of untended forest. And I know they've got some old growth up there, some virgin forest, but... I mean, it just, it is, there's, uh, there are times, especially on sort of the, the vistas that you encountered right before Katahdin, um, you'd get up there and, and, you know, you'd look in all directions and you'd see just nothing but this sprawling green covering. Um, isn't that, know. isn't that extraordinary though? Don't you think so? Some of those views are just amazing in Maine. That was, I think Maine was probably, I think New Hampshire was the most dramatic state, but the most, uh, extraordinary state to look at was just Maine with the lakes and the views and, and just and seeing Katahdin in the distance was great as well. Oh yeah, and getting to the top of Katahdin and seeing um, just all the lakes. I, I find it funny how they call all the lakes ponds up there because I mean, <laughs> the ponds are enormous. But uh, but yeah, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the scale of it in Maine is is so impressive um, and it really just you know, gives you a sort of a moment to think about, wow, this is, you know, this is how, this is how a lot of the East coast used to be and a lot of about how they, you know, 
the U.S. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, you're right. Yeah. Do you and do you do you harbor any ambition at all to do a through hike yourself, or or it's interesting when I was speaking to you before. You know, you you probably could have stayed out there with Jessa, but you're happy to go off and do something else, which I right. thought was fantastic. I cracked up when I heard that one. When I heard the show, I know I I know we did the interview, but when I actually hear, listen to the show again, it just sounds different to me somehow. And I cracked up when you said that. So, do you ever feel you might have one day want to do a through hike? Um. No, probably not. Uh, it's kind of it's, uh, for the same reasons. I think I just, you know, I I love climbing and I love running and I love biking and uh, and I just I would have a hard time I think doing one thing for such an extended period of time um, because you know then it would it, it would mean having to kind of lose ground on those other things. Um, but uh, I would definitely go out there for another week or two for sure, um, without a doubt. Was was it was the AT as you imagined it would be beforehand, and 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 if and if it was or if it wasn't, um, and you already said that Maine was very impressive because you had to quite you actually hiked quite a few miles of it, didn't you? So you've probably got more of a an overview than a lot of people who just go and join their their partner for a few few days. So yeah. what what do you think about the AT generally? Um, I really loved it. It it was a lot different than hiking I've done in the past. You know, I, I think one big thing that that i learned about the at and you know i would you know hopefully this goes out to, to people who are thinking about about hiking it but um as opposed to, to wilderness hikes that i did when i was young because i grew up in texas and we used to hike a lot in the wildernesses of you know kind of uh west texas and yeah. uh, and new mexico um, i drove through that the other i drove through that a couple of weeks ago yeah it's pretty it's pretty much a wilderness isn't it it's rugged it's dry i mean water is is a constant concern um, really like there's a lot cognitively that you're kind of having to, to factor in. Do I keep on going? Do I turn back? You know, how much water am I drinking? How much energy am I using? Um, what are my resources? Like all those things. But, um, with the AT, you've got, I mean, you've got such great resources like the AWOL guide and, and there's so much, there's abundant water. And so it really frees up a lot of that cognitive currency that you can spend on just like, hiking which is you know incredibly meditative and um on top of that gives you a lot of time to just kind of be in your own mental space without really having to worry about some of those other things so i think if i had really planned it out i probably would have brought some things to think about with me um (laughs) (laughs) because i really like i I, you know you get a lot of time to kind of mull mull things over and, um, and i think that's something that also we you see a lot in the people who hike the AT, like a lot, you know, this, certainly not everybody, but a lot of the people we met and talked to, once you get to know them, like they really, they, they come out to the AT with, you know, these sorts of big thoughts that they want to spend more time on or big changes that they hope that this will be a catalyst for, you know, facilitate these big yeah. changes uh, in their lives. And, and so that was really, really neat to see too, is that it's sort of like everybody's kind of on their own trip, on their own journey. And, and I think the AT really provides you with that mental space to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. And and in fact, I, and I know that, Jesse, you were really flying at the end. Uh, did you get a chance to think yourself about things as you were going along? Um, I did. I certainly did. But I will say that I was surprised at, you know, how fast the trail went by. I thought I was going to have all this time to, you know, think yeah. about things, figure things out. And all of a sudden, you know, I was approaching – I was approaching Maine and I was going to be meeting Nick soon and the trail is going to be coming to an end. And it just felt like, wow, where did all that time go? Yeah. <laughs> but 
that is that is amazing that happens and virtually everybody i've spoken to when we've talked about um thinking about the things you want to think about in general we're all surprised when it's when it's nearly over as if it's crept up on us but you know we've been spent five or six months in my case uh doing it so what were your what were your highlights or a couple of highlights of the of the trial for you um so actually i think my highlights kind of came right after i decided that i was inevitably going to quit the trail i think actually um and the reason being is because at that time i thought okay well you know i'm i'm probably going to quit which means i only have a week or two left on the trail so you know everything that i wanted to do on the appalachian trail i'm going to make sure that i do it in this week or two um, and one moment that, you know, is really coming to mind is I was passing by Dismal Falls in Virginia, and it was a horrible day. It was cold, it was rainy, it was foggy, you know, it, it was just, it was miserable. But um, myself and another hiker decided to go swimming in Dismal Falls nonetheless, because I thought this might be my la- last chance on the Appalachian Trail to swim in a waterfall. Um, so I just think, I think that that kind of got me in the mindset of taking advantage of every moment and every interaction on the Appalachian Trail in a way that kind of would have been hard to do, um, you know, when you think you have another three or four months left of your adventure. So I kind of appreciated that, 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 um, you know, speed bump, I suppose, and my hike um, kind of kicked me into gear and got me in that mind. That's interesting. That's interesting. So you weren't taking advantage of those opportunities before. And because you were going to quit, you did. Don't you think that's a, that, that, that for me is a, um, is a, th- a thing I would I would think. Uh, well, I, in that case, I wasn't hiking it the way I should have hiked it before. Did you actually change your mindset at that stage then? Yeah, yeah, I think I did. I think it um, just kind of helped remind me um, that nothing's guaranteed, nothing's set in stone. Just because I'm out there, you know, through hike, that certainly doesn't mean that I'm going to get five months to through hike. You just never know what what's you know what's coming your way. Yeah. So what about low lights? What was was the low light thinking you were going to quit? Was that almost the same time? <laughs> I mean, that was certainly a challenge. I mean, it, there wasn't so there weren't many low lights for me and I think that that's because um you know anything that would have been a low light for me was a challenge that I encountered on the Appalachian Trail and and one of the reasons that I went out to the Appalachian Trail was because I wanted to tackle you, you know to tackle those challenges. Um I guess, though, that being said, like kind of looking back on the trail, one thing that really did give me a hard time was um, trying to balance my own personal needs with the needs of um, of hiking partners, of people that I was hiking with at that time. Um, I was moving fast clip and, and I was kind of impatient with my pace. And, and that was OK for me because that's that's how I wanted to hike, how I wanted to hike my hike. But, um, you know, that wasn't the same for everyone else. So so occasionally that meant that I lost some really great hiking partners. Um, and in retrospect, I'm, I'm really happy with my decisions that I made. But um, but it was certainly a hard hard thing to come to terms with, in the, in, you know, at that time. Well, I had a message from one guy who was hiking. Um, I won't say who it is. Um, but <laughs> And he was a really powerful hiker. And uh, he said, I got passed by Jessa. She is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it was said. It was said only in the nicest way, as you can imagine. Funny, funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your favourite state? I, I'm not going to. I actually, I, I was going to ask you the least favourite state, but I'm not going to ask you that. But what's your? What was your favourite state? 
So that's a hard one, you know, because every state has its own pros and cons. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, every hiker's own personal experience with a particular state is really going to impact their perspective. Um, so that being said, I think my favorite state was definitely Virginia. Um, and that's, you know, because I, I, I stayed at my favorite hostel in Virginia and I had <laughs> you know, the most incredible hiking partners through Virginia and, and the trail magic was just amazing. I ended up with like, I think three weeks straight of just gorgeous weather. Um, Nick happened to visit me in Virginia and, and, you know, all that combined really, really made Virginia my favorite state. Um, so so what, what was your favorite hostel then? Um, it would have been uh, Woods Hole was the name of it. Ah, oh, I never went there. Everybody said it was great, yeah. It was fantastic. It was, I mean, the um, Neville, I believe her name is, and I think her husband's name is Mike. They are just absolutely incredible people. They have just such a beautiful space, and it's, you know, it's, it was just, it was a wonderful day. I, I can't say enough good things about it. That was nice. Now, was there any one aspect of the trail that exceeded your expectations? Um, I, you know, this is kind of my, yeah, definitely the the people um, for sure exceeded my expectations and, and kind of the social side of the trail and that sense of community. And, and I think that that's really a reoccurring theme that you hear a lot about, um, but it's something that I don't think you really get a true sense of until you're out there and experiencing it. Um, and that, I mean, meeting meeting the people and, and just uh, that, that definitely exceeded my expectations. Um, I agree with you. And in fact, many much, very much um, along the lines of that, that there's a, there's a group of people going out next year, obviously. And I've noticed on the Facebook pages, cause I tend to look at these Facebook pages for the next year's class. There's a lot of youngsters going out again. And a number of them seem to be not nervous about going by themselves, but they ask advice to reassure themselves. And I think it's nice that you can say that, and, and, and everybody else does say this, it's the people that are always so darn great. And, it, and it's, it's a recurring theme. So everybody who is going out in 2018 should really feel reassured by that, shouldn't they? Yeah, I completely agree. And what about any disappointments from the trail? Oh, gosh. You know, not many. And, you know, kind of going back to my answer from before, I think, you know, anything that, you know, kind of seemed um, to be to be a low point or whatever I saw as a challenge and that, and you know, that was one of the reasons I was out there. Um, you know, I guess the only thing that I can maybe think of is, and this is kind of, you know, a double-edged sword in that because there's so many hikers, you know, the trail has garnished so much attention in recent years. Um, you know, you sometimes see certain spaces are kind of blown out by all the hikers. Um, and you see some sort of, you know, a little bit of environmental degradation at some of the shelters or in some of the most yeah. popular vistas that that's kind of a, you know, a disappointing um, things to see on the trail but but on the flip side it's great to know that people are taking advantage of the natural spaces and and it's you know nice to see that parks like Baxter State Park are are trying to address that increased interest in a way that you know facilitates this increased number of visitors but also protects those spaces. Yeah I agree with you in fact when I spoke with Ron Tipton at the, uh, at the ATC he was very articulate about that how they try try to plan to make sure that people use it but use it responsibly and make sure it's it's available for other people in the future which of course is terribly important as well. Now when you when you had your what I, I refer to as your mid-hike issues at what point was was there one moment when you decided you committed to go on and finish because you were talking at the time about working in 12 hour in- increments as it were so was there a point when you said I am going to finish this 
I think there was. Um, so it was after trail days. And at that time, I had been hiking um, with my then hiking partner, Bananas. And, um, you know, kind of my original time frame was, oh, I was going to go back out on the trail and stick it out until Memorial Day. And then at Memorial Day, if I wanted to go home, you know, that would kind of be the date that I'd give myself the okay to go back home. And I had told Bananas this and kind of, you know, explained where I was at. Um, so, you know, one day we were hiking along and, and he looks at me and he says, you know, Memorial Day is just, you know, two days away or, you know, however many days away it was. And, and at that moment it hit me. I was like, oh, man, like he's right. And I definitely don't want to go home. Um, oh, dear me. Wow. That I realized. Yeah. That is awesome, though. That's a must be great to, because I I would catch up on these things probably two or three days later all the time when I would speak to you, and um, I was I, I remember I remember interviewing around that time. It was one of my I was a bit down at the time when I would interview you because I thought, oh, she's going to go home soon. What a shame. I know she's you know, she's struggling with it and so on. But when you told me, I, I literally, I was punching the air here out of excitement that, you'd, uh, that you said you were going to go on. So, And I know a lot of people were so pleased that you carried on as well. So that, that was great. And kind of last questions, really. How, how did you cope with the feral conditions on the trail? Because you know you're you're a you're a, you're a brushed up lawyer. You know you're smart and you're clean and all that sort of stuff. When you get on the trail, you have to realize this is a feral lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Um, but actually, I kind of found it, um, you know, sort of liberating, I guess, to a certain extent. <laughs> it, it didn't bother me much. It really didn't give me much pause. Um, and I think maybe that's you know some from some previous previous experiences backpacking I kind of knew what to expect um but I also think that like when you're just that tired and that sore and you know that exhausted the fact that you're also kind of like dirty and sweaty isn't so much on your mind like you know you're kind of just more focused on those basic essentials um but that being said I did I did find that like having a routine for hygiene um kind of helped so like you know as soon as I got to camp I would change into clean clothes and and I, I made a point of never skipping brushing my teeth every night and just kind of those yeah. little things for big morale boosters that um, kind of sort of helped me stay on top of that. I think that's part of it, though, isn't it? You know, you, you do get into this feral life because it doesn't really matter. The things that matter matter, which is sleeping, eating and walking. And they're the things you concentrate on, don't you? So the rest of the stuff doesn't matter when you're out there, does it? Exactly, yeah. Now, would you make any changes to your gear if you were to go again, I'm not suggesting you're going to go again, but if you were to go again, uh, what would you, what would you have changed about your gear? I think the only piece of gear I would consider changing, um, would be my tent. So I carried an REI passage one tent, um, which I had found at, at an REI garage sale for like 50 bucks, um, you know, versus mm. those ultralight tents that are hundreds of dollars. Um, so you, you know, I do think that there are things about the ultralight movement um, that are really beneficial. Um, but I also kind of like knowing that I could go out and I could hike the, um, the Appalachian Trail without spending an arm and a leg on, yeah. on gear. And, and, you know, those ultralight um, items can be incredibly expensive. And that being said, the weight and the bulkiness of my tent certainly weren't ideal. Um, but for me, I think the benefits of that tent kind of outweighed um, the weight of the tent you know I, I hated getting wet and 
and my tent was incredibly durable. And, you know, the thicker material, I was, I never had any concerns that I was, that I wasn't going to stay dry in the evening. And, and also I knew that I preferred to stay in my tent rather than in a shelter. So having a tent that was a little bit more spacious and a little more roomy, um, really suited me well. Um, how much did it weigh? <laughs> it was a one person, four pound tent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for these days, these days, there's a lot. I don't know whether you heard one of the episodes I had a couple of weeks ago. It's a guy called Bear, Edward Thullen Bear. He had his sleeping bag, which he found in a hiker box, was 12 pounds in weight. <laughs> he eventually burned it. <laughs> he set fire to it. It was just a ridiculous amount of weight he was carrying. Uh, terrible. I, I don't know whether you do. I know you, you've now embarked upon your career, so I guess this, this may be a somewhat moot point, but do you ever have any ambition to hike another long-distance trail? Nick and I are actually working on section hiking the Ice Age Trail here in Wisconsin. Um, so it's oh. kind of just been been knocking off sections here and there. Um, but I think as far as doing another through hike, um, so one thing I learned about myself on this pass through hike is the importance of family. To me. You know, I knew that my family and friends were important, um, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be for me to be away from them for that long. So, you know, I would consider doing another through hike one day. Um, maybe, you know, it, it's certainly not anytime soon, but um, I think another through hike that I would want, um, you know, perhaps Nick, if I could convince him or, or some family member or friend to join me. But I think for the time being, I need to certainly let my bank account recover. And, um, and I'm pretty excited about kind of diving in and really developing this new career of mine, too. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Now, and now you've done this, which is a wonderful feeling that you've actually done it, isn't it? I, I just love that, uh, the fact that you can think it's an achievement you've done. Nobody can ever take that away from you. If there was one piece of advice that you could give the class of 2018, what would that be? I think it would be to just be honest with yourself about what you need on the trail. You know, you hear so much about people... I think one piece of advice I often got was, you know, make sure that you take advantage of the views. Don't miss the views and, you know, really make the most of every moment out there. And um, but then, you know, there were some days where I just didn't, frankly, want to, you know, I just wanted to put my head down. Do you want to see, do you want to see another bloody valley? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to put my head down and power through those miles. And, you know, yeah. though there has been a beautiful vista that was, point two east of the trail I didn't want to go see it that day and and at first I was kind of feeling guilty about that and then you know I kind of came to this realization that that's just you know today I just kind of need to put my head down and do those miles and I need to be um, forgiving of myself that you know I may may not be taking advantage of that views and just kind of kind to myself and understanding about what my needs are that day and and um, you know there really is no one you know, right way to hike this trail. And you just got to find what works for you and um, and be content with that. I, I 100% agree with you. And I know that from the a lot of the emails I've got that you, you've had a lot of supporters on this trail. I'm sure they'll be delighted to hear your, you know, really kind of your reflections upon what happened. And I can tell you, as you know, and I say it quite often, I said it last time, I'm so proud that that you did this. I, I feel uh, I, I felt felt I vicariously hiked it with you, which was great. And meeting you in Damascus was to me almost surreal because I'd spoken to you, I'd never actually met you. I saw your picture, but I'd never actually met you. And it, I don't know, it was it was kind of an odd thing. And I thought 
this is the girl who's going to take it all the way to the end. Even though you you were thinking of packing up there, I still I was still hoping you were going to going to do it, and you did it. And and I'm I can't be more pleased. I tell you, and 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 Nick and and I'm listening to you, Nick as as well. You are <laughs> so articulate about what you want to do and what you think is the. The, the 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 way forward for you as well and I, I love that attitude that the two of you can have your own pursuits and just achieve both of them which is just a, a great thing so I'm I'm delighted you you agreed to come on the show and I and my last question is do you regret being on the show <laughs> <laughs> of course not no it was <sighs> experience and getting to know you and getting to know you know the other guests on the show is was just an incredible opportunity and I'm so so thankful thankful that that I reached out to you for Grizz's spreadsheet way back when and that and that yeah. this all worked out yeah, and I, yeah on that same note I think you know Steve in your own way you've like really you were a big part of just finishing this trail as well like I think you know um there were times when like yeah you know even even me like you know should Oh, you know, should have been always been playing the most supportive role, um, had difficulty being supportive because, you know, there was that side of me that just wanted her back so bad. Um, I want to be like just sleeping in bed with our dog, um, as very good a bedmate as he is. Um, and so, but, you know, I, I remember talking to Jess at times and her really like, you know, naming you and then this podcast as, you know, real of inspiration and pride and, and a reason for her to push on because of the people listening and and um and, and all that stuff so um just uh want to send a thank you to you as well for uh, being their supporter when um when when some of us weren't strong enough to do so <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i thoroughly appreciate that and and you know what i and i just hope people have taken inspiration here because when you want to give up you, you you were so sensible about it you know you thought about it you talked about it and eventually you didn't you carried on and people listening to, should know that you know that Jessa had Jessa and I didn't just have our interviews we had conversations off, off the interview as well and there were times that she really did want to back up but it, she carried on so it was great but I'm so delighted that you did this and uh, and I thank you both for catching up with me tonight and I'm going to intersperse this with some a few few no, a few uh, uh, reflection for your mother as well so there'll be a surprise to you <laughs> <laughs> sounds good thank you okay all right, guys. Well, all the very best in in your wedding planning next year, for God's sake, <laughs> and very all the very best in your job as well, Jessa. Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers, then. Bye. Bye. I thought that was a fascinating reflection of Jessa's. When she thought she was going to quit, she decided to swim in a waterfall. That really speaks to how important it is to take advantage of situations when they're right in front of you. Not leave them for another day, as you may not have another day. I also loved how Jessa emphasised the importance of hiking your own hike near the end. This is a much-quoted but often-ignored mantra. There is no single way to correctly hike the AT. Do not believe the so-called experts. It is your hike. Do what you want to do, not what somebody else thinks you should be doing. By the way, I really appreciated Nick's kind words to me and my guests on the show. As Jess's mum, Joan, wasn't able to be on that call, I recorded a few questions with her the following day. I said I'd interspersed Joan's comments with the interview, but I decided simply to add them after our conversation. So, ignore the intro you're about to hear. Here is Joan Hader, 
Jess's wonderfully supportive mother. Okay, in a test of my editing skills, which uh, <laughs> I'm a bit rusty on these as I've been away, um, I've now got Joan Hader, who's Jess's mum, uh, on the phone, and I'm going to try to intersperse some of her answers <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with the questions, but you never know how this is going to work out. So, hi, Joan, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Looking, for, looking Good, forward to getting okay. the hurricane out of my system, I've got to tell you. Yes, I can certainly understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I, I'm i going to ask you a couple of questions, which I'm going to try to fit in somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll just start with those questions, and then I'll ask you a final impression at the end, okay? Okay, sounds okay. great. Right. My first question to you, Joan, is what do you see in Jessen now that maybe wasn't there before or has been exacerbated, is that the word, uh, amplified mm-hmm. by the trial? Yeah. You know, so it's interesting because I, I kind of had a feeling you might ask me this question, so I've thought quite a bit about it. Right. And um, would like to say that I've found really something profound to share with you about how deeply the experience has changed uh. her. <laughs> so do I see changes in her? I, I certainly do, but probably not in the way that maybe you or, or certainly your listeners might expect. I mean, I've seen small changes in her in areas that you and I have talked about before um, on the show, you know, yeah. her ability to be more flexible flexible, to live life maybe a little bit less scripted, for example. But the reality is really that Jessa now is pretty much Jessa as she was before in a lot of ways. And she and I have actually talked a little bit about this. Um, And I mean, I can't speak for her, but for me, I think I'm a little bit surprised by it. I think I expected this, you know, huge, you know, personal or spiritual transformation out of her when she walked down from Katahdin. But I think what I've come to realize is that uh, I guess I wonder whether the true impact of the trail is something that really hits you only as you kind of move forward in life, that maybe you draw upon that experience and that all, all that you learned about yourself from it at times in your life when you most need to. So, you know, maybe during times of adversity or when life gets complicated and difficult. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, some of those deeper impacts of the trail might be things that maybe she um, she may not feel for a while and I may not notice for a while. Um, but I do think that what the trail did for Jess is to definitely reaffirm for her what it is that kind of gives her life meaning, what drives her, what keeps her energized, happy. Um, and I think she's definitely learned to keep those things sort of in the forefront of any decisions she makes. And, and it's a pretty wonderful thing to kind of know what grounds you and keeps you engaged and joyful oh, in yeah, life. So I definitely. think that's a pretty neat thing. Funny enough, I, I think I when we when I I'm now recording you the day after speaking with Jessica and Nick. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I said to her, I kind of think another catch up six months down the line might be an idea as well, because I think yeah, this, yeah. this may almost be not too soon, but certainly first impressions are always great. But this mm-hmm. is a profound thing mm-hmm. that happens to you. And she seems to slip right. straight into work, straight back into her life. I'd be interested she to has. see. Yeah, exactly. It shocks me, I tell you. So, you know, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be interested to see if, if any of that changes as time goes on. Yeah, she really, she has slipped very 
easily back into kind of her old life, which I guess maybe was also surprising for me. (laughs) Um, You know, I know when, for example, when she went overseas abroad to South Africa in college, coming back and sort of reintegrating into life here in the U.S. was that took a little bit Um, where, you know, there were some big changes. We're very materialistic here in the U.S. That's very different from what she experienced in South Africa. So I think, you know, there with that big event, I saw a big adjustment for her. And it's interesting because I expected the same thing with this experience and I haven't quite seen it yet, but, um, but I have a feeling it will happen. It's just, it, it, I just think life will, will create the experiences where she reflects back on this and, and there'll be big moments, but I think there's somewhere down the line yet for her. Well, did yeah. you, and, and I suppose as a mother, you're going to worry about her any to, anyway, but did your worry yeah. level increase or decrease while she was on the trail? No, it definitely decreased. I mean, certainly the more I educated myself, the less fearful I became for her and for what she was doing. Um, by the time she started the trail, I actually had very little concern anymore for her safety. And certainly the first week that she was out there walking kind of calmed me down even further because it became really, really apparent that the social network and support on the trail is very, very strong. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I would say as, you know, a family member who's kind of left behind, you know, your worry about her her or your, you know, your loved one in their safety never completely goes away. But I would say that the nature of my worry definitely shifted a bit. So when she was started or when she started out, I mean, I was worried about, you know, bears and her <laughs> being attacked. I was one of those, are you going to carry a gun people? <laughs> but as the, you know, as the journey wore on, I worried more about real concerns, things like Lyme disease or what if a tree falls on her in a storm? <laughs> I mean, if you remember the storms that fund all sorts of tornadoes, Um, early in the spring were often headed right across the trail where she was. And that worried me, especially if she was sleeping outside in tents or shelters or things like that. I bet. Yeah. And there, you know, there wasn't an overwhelming panic, but certainly I would say annoying anxiety um, also came for me during those few times where she was unable to be in touch with me. Um, You know, so you wonder, okay, I, I know that she, I think that the cell coverage is so good that I was surprised by how much we were in touch at the front end. I was shocked how yeah. easy it was to stay in touch. I called my wife every day on my on my trip, but one, mm-hmm. every single day, but one. It was amazing. Yeah. I would say for me, the end was the most frustrating because um, there was very limited cell coverage at the end. So, you know, through phone calls, text messages, picture sharing, I felt in the first, you know, 90%, really the 90% probably up to 90% of the trail, I felt like I was right there along with her and I was able to share at least in a small way in her journey and sort of experience it along with her. And therefore, you know, I kind of felt a small part of her success as well. But when she hit the the White Mountains and then onto Katahdin, it was an area area with just miserable cell signal. And I've I found myself being really frustrated at not being able to be a part of it all at the end <laughs> with her. Um, you know, on the other hand, it was her journey, not mine. So in some way, maybe that was appropriate, but it's also something that for people again, who are kind of those left behind, I think you need to be prepared for You're very connected in the beginning and really throughout the whole trail. And then all of a sudden, nothing during the most exciting time of it all. So I, I mean, for me, there was a bit of a, a letdown feeling for myself in that, like, I just felt 
so left out of it at the end, and that that was hard. So, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's quite that's quite funny. I never would have imagined that actually. That's yeah, really funny. Yeah, yeah. But then, then you know, you knew Nick was sharing it with her as well, and they and they, yeah, yeah. he must be an incredibly fit guy because they smashed their way through the hundred mile wilderness. They sure so did. Fast. Yeah, they're amazing. both they're both pretty fit. Yeah. So. Now, you, now you spent a couple of days hiking with Jessica as well, didn't you? What were your impressions of, of the AT? Well, I, gosh, I would say that my, you know, maybe my most lasting impression is sort of the dichotomy of it all. I mean, it was vast and massive um, and small and simple all at the same time. So the vistas were, you know, breathtaking in the enormity of what she and personally me for that moment (laughs) were doing was absolutely huge. So, you know, physically, it was certainly difficult for me at times. Um, but then at the same time, I mean, the trail is 18, it's an 18 inch wide dirt path. <laughs> and with rare exception, it's like really full of these. Yeah, know, that was a shock silences. to me. That was, that was one of yeah. the earliest shocks to me that the, the path was so narrow. And I'm sure yeah. everybody who goes on yeah. this trail will be shocked how narrow it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's, it's tiny and it's full of deep silence and there's no agenda and it's beautiful in a really simplistic sort of way. You know, it's rocks and dirt and trees and cool <laughs> air and hot air and an occasional babbling stream. And then hours and hours of just kind of easy and unscripted conversation, um, you know, with Jessa and what could be better than that? I mean, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> so I think that's, you know, probably my lasting impression of it is just, that it's it's big and at the same time it's small and so I thought that was just kind of a fascinating little nice, little nice. aspect to it. So is yeah. is there is yeah. there any way in which you could sum up what Jessa being on the trail um, meant to you at the end of it? Yeah, well, you know, I I guess for me as a mother, and I guess for me as a woman. Um, you know, I grew up in a time where, I mean, I won't say that these sorts of experiences weren't available for women to engage in, um, but certainly women were probably far less likely to do these sorts of things on their own when, when I was growing up. Right. And I always said that I wanted to raise a, you know, young independent woman who, you know, valued the relationships in her life, but also c- could and would, would always know that she would be okay if that didn't happen for her. So when I see her sort of go after these sort of experiences and goals and tackle them, um, I guess, you know, as a parent, there's certainly this huge overwhelming sense of pride yes. um, in her and all that she's accomplished and her ability to overcome adversity. And I think everybody listening knows that she went through, through some really, really tough emotional <laughs> times, especially yes. in the beginning. Yes. And yeah. the fact that she was able to fight through those and come back, I think she's learned that she's tougher I mean, she's always been a tough little cookie, but <laughs> this yeah. is, um, I think, knowing that she can fight through something that that big and, um, you know, it's, it's just quite a mark. I, I think the fact that she could step back was a great, te- great testimony to her resilience and she right. and her and her, her general intelligence, the fact that she thought about mm-hmm. it uh, mm-hmm. and and just rationalize the whole thing and then came to the conclusion that she was going to carry on. And that was just great. I mean, not only was it great for the podcast, it was great for her and it's great for me as, almost as a fan to follow her. But like a lot of our listeners were, they were following how right. she was, how she was doing on the trail and, and it couldn't, you know, for the podcast, it couldn't have worked out better. And frankly, I don't think for Jessica it could have worked out much better either. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and while I've always known Jessa as someone who sort of is seriously driven to tackle that next big goal in life, I think for myself, I envisioned that the trail would be the culmination of something for her, maybe kind of that last big goal, physical challenge before she settles down to the business of sort of being a grown up. Yeah. But I've also found that I'm kind of wrong on that account. She wasn't even off the trail before I heard her start making, you know, comments about training for an ultra marathon. So oh, I guess, my gosh. I guess some some things and some people just never change in her chest. I just think it's always going to be that next physical challenge. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's been well, kind of fun. It's been, it's been great catching up with you again and great uh, being able to uh, link up with you when uh, Jess was on the trail as well. And so I really thank yeah. you for taking the time out to, to talk to us. And uh, this is going to make a really nice show. And uh, the reflections yesterday were very interesting. And I'm not going to play either your bit to her or hers to you. <laughs> not okay, until, not we'll until both it's be all surprised. together. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for speaking to me, and I'll, I'll speak with you soon, okay? Sounds wonderful. Thanks, Stephen. Good luck to you down in that hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I still can't get over how I like Joan and Jess's sound. They both have a similar pragmatic, thoughtful approach to hiking the AT. Now that I've met Jessa, Nick, and Joan, I'm not the least bit surprised that Jessa was able to finish her trip with those other two in a corner, how could she possibly fail? I hope that you've enjoyed following along with our little guinea pig this year. I certainly have, and hope to be able to announce the person we'll be following next year very soon. Now, the second personal comment I wanted to make concerns what appears to be my changing voice. Several of you have commented about its raspier nature, and I thought I'd share with you something that I learned last Thursday just before Irma decided to mess further with me and the rest of Florida. When I got back from California, I noticed that my throat remained dry and uncomfortable and my right leg was getting more and more painful. I went to see my doctor and she didn't immediately relate the two. Before I'd gone to California, she had sent me for a steroid injection to clear up any pain in my right knee from my earlier hike on the AT in July. For that continued pain, she referred me back to the doctor who had administered the injection. As to my throat, she looked at my family history and suggested that I may have triggered some asthma, even though I'd never shown any signs of asthma in the past. So she prescribed me an inhaler, I think it's called Ventolin. Neither of these remedies seemed to be working. In fact, both symptoms seemed to be deteriorating. So last Thursday, I went in again. This time, I mentioned to her that the pain in my leg was now more pronounced and throughout my right leg. Also, I told her that the inhaler had been a waste of time. To cut a long story short, I spent the next four hours, maybe five hours, having tests, examinations and a host of scratched heads before she pronounced that I had a blood clot at the back of my right knee and far, far worse, I had developed a pulmonary embolism. This apparently is fairly nasty. It's a blockage of an artery in the lungs by a bit of the blood clot that's in my leg. When I asked my doctor for my options, she told me that I needed to either check myself in immediately to the emergency room or start taking a blood thinner. The other alternative didn't seem to be terribly appealing, as if I didn't go with choice A or choice B, I was going to die. Hmm. So I'm now on Zeralto and I still live at home. Now I'm not telling you this for sympathy, though I happily take some. It's more that the clot, she believes, came from the long days of driving that I've done this year. I mean, I went back and forth to California, obviously, so that was 10 days of driving, about 5,000 miles. And also I went to trail days where I did 700 miles in a day and then 700 miles back in a day and 
back and forth to um, Nantahala Outdoor Centre to hike the AT. So I've done quite a lot of driving with very little brakes. So be careful if you have to drive a long distance, but take regular brakes. As to the voice, I'm afraid you're going to have to put up with it while I work on getting this embolism dissolved. Moving on, next week's guest will be Jeff Alt, the author of Walk for Sunshine, his inspirational account of his AT through hike in the late 90s. This hike was dedicated to his brother, a cerebral palsy sufferer who's lived for years in a home for the developmentally disabled provided by Sunshine Communities. Jeff raised $16,000 for the home from his walk, but not content with leaving it at that and moving on, he turned that hike into an annual fundraiser that has now raised, wait for this, over half a million dollars for the home. Amazing stuff. Over the next few weeks, I'll be catching up with some of the other people we've met this year, with an update on whether or not they managed to achieve what they wanted to do on the AT. We're going to hear again from Kickstarter, Sleeping Beauty, BC, the tough girl herself, Sarah Williams, as well as, hopefully, Dixie and Iron World, Stacey Cozell, both of whom took on the PCT this year. There are a few others I've reached out to, so watch this space. A couple more five-star reviews on iTunes this week. Jacktoberfest tells me that listening to the show puts me in a great hiking mood when I'm driving home. It also makes him look forward to the adventures that lie ahead. NH Flyer says, I'm hooked, and goes on to say that even if he or she never gets the chance to hike the AT, I feel as though I've hiked it vicariously through Mighty Blue and his cast of characters. I love to hear from you all, so whether it's via email or review, please keep them coming. Chapter 21 of my second book takes me into New Hampshire, a daunting prospect in itself, though the beginning of what would be a glorious end to this magical trail. I team up with an old friend from 300 miles before, as well as another guy who is soon to leave us. By now, I'm well into the idea of team hiking, and I hatch a plan to make it a little easier for me and my soon-to-be-expanded team to safely get to Katahdin. Man, New Hampshire... You just gotta love it. See you next week. Chapter 21 Into New Hampshire. With my zero days now in the past, Stuart drove me back to Starbucks where he had met me two evenings before. Brian and Dee had let me simply relax, chat, and eat, all of which I was delighted to do, but I was now ready to get back at it. Of course, at Starbucks, I couldn't resist the temptation of a triple grande non-fat latte and a blueberry scone. Old habits die hard. I should have had a triple grande full-fat latte. As a consequence, I dallied for 30 minutes before hitting the trail once more. It was spitting with intermittent rain and didn't feel like a great start to the day. Soon, what rain there was eased off. My first impression of hiking in New Hampshire was that it was all fairly benign. There was a gentle uphill to begin with, but nothing too terrifying. I knew that this was an entirely false impression, but enjoyed deluding myself nonetheless. My mantra for these early miles, in my most dreaded states, seemed to be that until I had to face it, I would convince myself that I'd be okay. I ran into a couple of familiar faces that morning. First, there was Voodoo. She was a young woman who had witnessed my most embarrassing moment on the trail. We chatted over snack for a few minutes before moving on. I saw no indication on her face that she had seen what could not be unseen. I'm not entirely sure if that thought made me feel better or worse. The second and the most significant person I met on that grey morning just into New Hampshire was Lydenot. He was a guy in his fifties who I'd camped beside in Connecticut. 
Reintroducing ourselves, we soon discovered that we had similar outlooks. We even talked about possibly teaming up for some of the tougher climbs to come. Both of us felt that safety and numbers might be preferable at this stage, while we also both mentioned the loneliness on the trail. We agreed to meet later at Moose Mountain Shelter, then decide where to end the day. It is only now, writing this more than a year after we first met, that I've realised how serendipitous our meetings had been. The first time we had met had been back in Connecticut. I had spent the previous evening with my friends, Brian and Dee. 300 miles had since passed. Now, just 30 minutes into my day, having spent the night with Brian and Dee for the second time, and in a different state, Lardnot and I had run into one another once more. Even more providential was the fact that I delayed my start by about 30 minutes at Starbucks. I tended to walk slightly faster than Lyda Knot, so I may well have missed him if I'd rejoined the trail immediately. I've rarely been so grateful for a cup of coffee. By the time we got to the shelter, the rain was just starting to take hold, so we decided that our day was over after only 11 miles by 3 o'clock. A quiet Japanese guy who Lyda Knot had met before, Loon, joined us later. We were all saddled in our sleeping bags in the shelter by 7.30. I didn't like using shelters, but the rain was intense, so I made an exception. While the rain itself subsided, throughout the night the wind blew spray from the trees onto the shelter, drowning out any mouse or chipmunk activity, which was fine by me. They may have been marching around like a bunch of noisy kids in kindergarten, poking into our bags, though as long as I couldn't hear them, I was good to go. I'd probably be my best night in a shelter, waking refreshed and ready to move on. I was out by 7.50, making excellent progress for the first five miles. The real mountains were still to come, yet I had noticed sharper inclines as we pushed further north. I struggled for the rest of the day to make another seven miles. Unlike the mountains in the south, these tended to be pretty much straight up with no side to side. I had to take extensive breaks, gasping to regain both my breath and the power in my legs. That said, I took heart from the undeniable fact that, pain and anguish notwithstanding, there hadn't been a single mountain I'd failed to get over. More than any other, this realisation always gave me the confidence to look the upcoming terrain directly in the eye and tell both it and myself that I'd eventually be at the top. As luck would have it, I always turned out to be right. Lydenot and I stopped at the amiable Bill Ackley's home, just after the Lyme Dorchester Road. Bill had put a cute homemade sign out to attract hikers, promising free ice cream and water top-up. Naturally, the place had attracted several old and new faces, all eager to avail themselves of Bill's hospitality. A few were still on his porch from the night before. Bill was a real gent, delighted to have hikers cluttering up his porch and slurping down ice cream. He claimed that it was his 86th birthday, and one of the hikers who had been there the previous evening said that he had said the same thing the day before. He was an absolute treat to meet. After a tough climb of about 2,000 feet, I got to our target shelter, the Fire Warden's Cabin, which was a very dreary, closed building. I didn't fancy staying in it at all, so I waited for Lydenot before we settled on a tenting site. We found a small clearing a few hundred yards before the shelter with a spectacular view to the valley below. I had my best sleep in a tent for a long while, and we breakfasted the next morning with our glorious view directly in front of us. Lydenot left ten minutes before me and stopped at the shelter where he found Loon. We arranged to meet at Orr Hill, about twelve miles away, so I tried to make some early progress down the hill, which was wet, rocky and very muddy. Indeed, I filled for the 27th, 28th and 29th time. Each time I slipped on the mud, with all the falls occurring within an hour. I didn't hurt myself, but falling always slowed me down. It also made me more tentative, 
though clearly not tentative enough, for I continued my fall fest throughout both New Hampshire and Maine. I ran into several Sobos, many of whom were eager to share their stories of the White Mountains and Maine. The whole thing sounded like a bit of a horror story to me, and for the first time, I felt that I might miss my September 25th target date. Diane always told me that she would rather I missed her birthday and stayed safe, so I resolved to concentrate on the safety while still keeping an eye on the miles per day. I hadn't given up my goal, but I knew that I needed to get to the end if all this was going to be the achievement I wanted it to be. I knew I'd already done a remarkable thing, but to finish on a fall would have been devastating. My focus fell even more clearly upon that photograph at the top of Catan. Despite falling three times on this day, the climbs were nothing I hadn't experienced before, and I got to the camp at Orr Hill by about four o'clock. Leidenot showed up about 30 minutes later, while Loon rolled in at about 6.30. I had spent nearly 1,800 miles concerned about how slow I was to get moving in the mornings, yet Loon made me look positively sprightly. He never seemed in a hurry to get anywhere, though when he got going, he was faster than both me and Leidenot. I must say, knowing that I wouldn't be camping alone anymore was a good feeling, so I hoped I had found the partners I had been previously avoiding. I had already learned, and here was another example, of the need to be fluid in your plans on the Appalachian Trail. Almost overnight, I had gone from a complete aversion to hiking partners to welcoming them into my hike. With my two new amigos around me, I slept well again, waking at 6.20, refreshed and ready to go. Having teamed up, our threesome almost immediately became a twosome. Loon developed different plans from Leidenot and me, but the three of us decided to hike just eight miles into Glencliff the following morning for a couple of reasons. First, I had a food pickup from the Glencliff post office. I was now down to my last few Snickers and in desperate need of more. The opening hours had been changed, I was told, so I was anxious to make sure I was there during the short window the post office would be open. Second, Mount Musalak was the beginning of the White Mountains, and Leidenot and I wanted to slack-pack our first mountain in that range. Looking at the profile of Musalak, a north-to-south route appeared to be the easier way to go. Leidenot, Loon and I got to the road at NH25 at the same time. We then headed east, reaching the Hiker's Welcome Hostel within half a mile. It was rather like Standing Bear Farm, which had been more than 1,000 miles back, where nothing looked right, but it all worked. A shower, laundry, tent site and shopping trip allowed us all to hang out for the afternoon, chatting with Sobos and one guy who was boomeranging. Apparently, he had started on Springer Mountain the same day as me, had already been to Katahdin, was heading back to Springer. Extraordinary! I was really looking forward to Musalak the following morning, and with a forecast for great weather for the next five days, everything was set fair for the Whites. How little I knew what I was about to experience. Many miles behind me, An experienced hiker had said that the moment I stepped above the trees in New Hampshire would be the moment I'd realise why I was hiking the Appalachian Trail. I was always sceptical about such hyperbole, though he turned out to be right on the money. Leidenot and I had taken the opportunity to slack-pack over Musalak in order to save our knees. The Hiker's Welcome Hostel was also a cheap and cheerful place to stay for a second night, so several other hikers joined us. It would be fair to say that we were all more than a little intimidated by the mountain's reputation. However, the difference when carrying such a depleted pack was so liberating. As we walked, views started to unfold and we appreciated those lighter packs. Suddenly, emerging above the tree line, we were able to absorb our vast surroundings for the first time. A young guy in a kilt, Shepherd, was snapping away at straggling hikers with his camera. 
He had reached a rocky outcrop near the summit, perching himself upon it to record the contented faces of exhaustion as they passed him. There were about twenty people at the top, many of whom I knew, and we all sat around in the idyllic sun having lunch for about ninety minutes. Walking down with Lydenot a short time later, I had my thirtieth fall slipping on a route. With my bear-scaring whistle in my back pocket, it really hurt my backside. Despite the fact that the whistle was relatively impotent in its rusty state, I had been loath to part with it. During the day, I had remarked to Lydenot that it would be great to be able to slap out all the way to Maine. An idea started to form. When I got to the bottom, I suggested that we could each offer to pay somebody about 250 bucks to manage this for us. With a team of four, it could prove to be an interesting proposition to a hard-up hiker. Looking back at our patronising that reads, I'm afraid I can only chalk it up to the benefit of being of more advanced years and marginally less impecunious than some. As it turned out, I had hit upon a scheme that appealed to others and allowed several of us to make our journey easier than it might otherwise have been. We also found somebody who didn't seem to feel in the least bit patronised, so everybody had an upside. Many miles before, I had run into T-Bird, hiking with a husband and wife couple. At the time, I was recovering from yet another fall. I had joined them in search of a drink, to no avail, and had bumped into T-Bird several times over the miles since then. She was now hiking on her own because the married couple had quit the trail. T-Bird had suggested once or twice that we could team up to hike together, That had never happened, but she was staying at the hostel that evening. She was now hiking with Trillium, a woman in her early forties. We spoke to the two women about her idea, and they seemed responsive. I think we had all reached the stage where we knew that the danger was increasing exponentially. We all wanted some security to help us achieve our respective goals. Trillium happened to know Shepard, the young guy who had been photographing hikers at the top of Musalak earlier in the day. He was already spending much of his time both hiking and helping hikers, so we put our financial proposal to him. Without committing to how much he could help, or how much cash he might want, we were able to shed some weight to leave in Shepard's truck. The next few days weren't going to be complete slackbacks. We couldn't meet up with Shepard every day, so we needed a larger supply of food, along with most of the rest of our gear. My pack became a far more appealing proposition at £30, and while it wasn't as great as the day before, it was appreciably more comfortable than my everyday burden. Our team was formed, and we were into the whites. (laughs) 